0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at RCCPhoenix.com.
1: The next couple of weeks, we're going to do a series on worship. <clears throat> um, we kind of talked about how um, there was a disconnect between. There's a disconnect between the idea in the American church of. Of worship and music and that in our culture we see these two blended together quite a bit and what we're going to find is that worship and music are not the same and in our in our cultural context especially in our American church and the 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 traditions that we have exported across the world because we have done that very well um, some good some not so good But in those traditions, what happens is is people think when they come into church service, I want to start with worship. And that's typically the songs that are before the service, right? Um, But what you're going to find in scripture is that there is a divide between these two things, and it'll help you understand more about your Bible and about your own life and what's required of us as believers as we go forward as disciples of Christ. And so... um, we talked last week that music is a tool. It is a very powerful tool. We talked about what it did to the brain and how um, you, you're processing information when you're, when you're looking at, when you're, when you're listening to music, whether you want to or not, it fires off a dozen different um, uh, parts of your brain and you have to choose, do I like this or not? Do I, am I understanding what's happening? Does the melody make sense? And we talked about using that as a tool. What happens today, and I actually dealt with it last night, um, uh, is there's a, a, a very wide consensus of people, especially who live on the internet, um, who want to find churches that have like big screens and sound systems and stages and be like, that's not worship. And then they go, we need an organ in the hymnal. You know what I mean? And then you're like, okay, well, um, I don't side with either one of those. You know what I mean? Well, we're, I don't. I, I'm trying in my older years, now that I'm approaching thirty, um, I'm trying to uh, be a little bit more discreet on and a little bit more um, biblical on my approach to these things. And I want to help you do the same because I think it's going to revolutionize what you think about wor- what you think about worship and what it is. So we're going to define it today. So the first line in your notes is: Worship has nothing to do with music. Worship has nothing to do with music. <clears throat> When I was in youth group, and maybe you guys are, are with me, um, uh, I, I don't feel old. My son saw a picture of me in my youth group a couple of months ago and asked me if I still had some of those clothes that I was wearing because they're coming back in style, I guess, and he wanted to wear some of them. Um, I was like, no, man, I, can't. I, I, I ran through all of those. But when I was a, a, a younger person and in youth group, I heard a phrase that kind of blew my mind because I always thought that worship was the songs that happened before and after the service, right? And at the altar call or when you walked in, there was two praise songs, three worship songs, and then the altar call song, right? That's kind of how I was raised in, in my kind of denominational church. But I heard a, a statement that kind of threw me for a loop, and uh, it's the next line of your notes is worship is a lifestyle. <clears throat> and so when I heard that, anybody ever heard that phrase before, worship is a lifestyle? Anybody ever heard a phrase and then in everybody, like a one-liner in a message, and people go, hmm, that's good. And then you really think about it and you go, hmm, I have no idea what that means. That was me, right? Like I wasn't smart enough back then to go, I don't understand what it means. I would just look at it and go, oh, that's kind of profound. Worship is a lifestyle. So what I did was I incorrectly thought since the worship to me was the songs that happened before the service that I had to go throughout the day singing those songs. So I would get, you know, in front of my, uh, I would, you know, try to get up for school as a kid and I would like try to wash my face. And I'd be like, "Oh, wait a minute! Worship is a lifestyle." Put toothbrush on my toothpaste, and I'd just be like, "Celebrate Jesus! Celebrate!" <laughs> na 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 na. Ah, any old folks in here remember the claps on that one? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I hear you chuckling. You're old as I am. Um, <clears throat> so you know, and I would, I would, you know, just try to like go through the day and be like, "Okay, I can't be singing that MC Hammer song I just heard on my radio and my '77 Firebird. It didn't have air in Florida." Um, but I, I just need to sing another song because worship is a lifestyle. And as I was doing that, it just didn't really make sense, but I thought, well, this is what you're supposed to do, and I was a really good rule follower, so I would just try to sing those songs throughout the day, <clears throat> thinking I was living a lifestyle of worship, right? Well, um, the Bible will show us exactly what worship is. Now, one of the reasons, one of the things that we got to understand before we dive into what worship is in Scripture is that the Bible was written in three different languages. It's next line in your notes. Anybody want to take a guess at what the three languages are? Except anybody who was at Youth on Friday, because I already heard part of this. Hebrew. Yep, that's one of them. Hebrew. Greek. Greek, Yep, and then there's a third one. A very small portion of the Old Testament was written in a different language. Where is it? Aramaic. Look at you. I got some Bible students in here. Y'all listen in church, don't you? Look at y'all. Okay. So now, um, anybody in here speak a different language in English? You're bilingual or trilingual? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Sammy. She's, she's uh, translated for us before. Nina speaks Samoan. Anybody else? Okay, cool. You got one, too. All right. So if you speak other languages, then what, you're, what you will understand is that English is not, very, is not a very descriptive language, <clears throat> right? There's more description And more nuance that happens in other languages. So, for instance, in the Bible, they use multiple words for our one word love, right? We say, uh, I love my wife or my husband, and I love those shoes. Two different meanings, same word, right? There's a difference between loving those tacos and loving my brother. But I still say the word love, right? Because English is a, non, it's a less descriptive language. So in the Bible, you guys probably already know this, there's multiple words for love. There's a, the agape love that God has for unconditional love for all mankind, which is what we are actually encouraged to, to operate in as his people. There's phaleo love, which is kind of more like a brotherly love. There's eros love, which is kind of more romantic type of love. So there's different words for our one English word, love. And the same way, there's multiple words in the Bible for our one English word of worship. And they're far more descriptive than what's been summarized for us. Now, the Bible wasn't written in English. And so any translation that we have, there are people, men, who are, Led by the Spirit of God, who pray, who study, who are scholars, who are language experts, cultural experts, who get together and they have to make decisions on how to communicate what's in that original document to us in our language so we'd understand it. That's the the value of having other translations of the Bible and other, um, like, you know, NLT, NIV, uh, ESV, and all that kind of stuff. Um, So, Um, There's great value in that, but we have to remember people are trying to communicate in our language to us. So when we kind of reverse engineer that and go back to go, let me, what does this word worship actually mean? Because I thought it was, you know, the songs. What I find was next line in your notes, the Bible uses 16 different words for our one English word worship. 16 different words. Okay. Okay. I listed them there for you. I'm not going to read all of them because that would be a comedy special on my end because I would, you know, I would fumble through these, but I'm going to focus on, on the categories. If you took all the definitions of these words, if you want to go back and look them up, you totally can. That's why I put them there for you. But if you go and look at these words, they basically fall into three categories, three categories. Okay. Today, we're only going to talk about the first category. The rest of the series, we'll get into the other two, but we're going to talk about the first category. It's the next line of your notes. Category one, submission. Submission. Now there's a bunch of guys in the, in the, in the building and as part of RCC. And so when we think submission in our culture, I immediately think UFC fights, right? Yep. Um, We think UFC fights. And someone got somebody in an arm bar, twist their leg, you know, and they're having the what? It's a submission move, trying to get them to tap out. Oh, no, no, stop, 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 stop. Okay, you win, you win, you win. That is not the picture that's being painted here of what, how we're supposed to submit to God. Like he wrestled us down with his knowledge or power or strength and got me to a point where I was like, oh, you're going to break my leg. Okay, I give in, I give in. You win, you win. That's not how submission is presented in the Bible. The earliest mention of the word worship, and you'll see how this kind of changes things for us. Next on your notes, the earliest mention of the word worship in the Bible is during the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. Everybody remember the story? Isaac or Abraham was super old. He didn't have any children. Almost 100 years old was Sarah. The angel came to them and said, you're going to have a son. I'm going to make a great nation out of your Out of of you, Abraham, and your descendants. He's like, I don't have any descendants. And God says, I'll take care of that. Sarah laughed at him because they were too old to have kids. And fast forward in the story, Abraham and Sarah have a son. His name is Isaac. Then God asks Abraham to do something with Isaac. And here's what happens. Genesis 22, 1 through 5. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, who you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. Let's stop right here. Uh, The Matt International Version thinks he got up early because, uh, notice, he did not tell his wife what he was about to do. Because she would have snatched him. But No, you're not taking my son to do what? No, no, no. Right? So he let's keep going. Uh, the next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we'll come right back. Do you think God told him, go up into this mountain and worship me so that he could get up there and be like, our God is an awesome guy, he ranged up on a mountain because he just wanted to be higher up off the ground to sing the song? No. Him going to the mountain was an act of worship. Him taking Isaac was an act of worship. Why? Because the main worship, the, the, the main word that's used here in this category that we're talking about today is worship was submission. That word is shakha. It sounds like S-H-A-W-K-A-W if you were to pr- pronounce it, shakha. Next sign of your notes, this word means to bow down, to prostrate oneself or just like just to bow down completely. That next word there—it's a definition in your notes—is called segid. It's to prostrate oneself, to physically kneel or bow down. <clears throat> so, when they talk about worship, and especially in the Old Testament, and in some places in the New Testament, what they're saying is, when 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 Isaac and Abraham go up to the mountain to worship, they're not going up to sing songs, to set up the sound system, to bring the band. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they are commanded to go there in shaka, to sagid in, um, in the Aramaic language. It's to bow down and not like a, like a karate match where you just bow at your waist, to physically kneel down. Now, in our culture, in our American culture, this act of physically kneeling down doesn't really mean much. I mean, my brother, when he was little, he would jump off the bed and land on his knees on the ground because he could. You know what I mean? All you guys, especially the moms in the room, are wincing. You only get one set of knees, kids, what my mom used to tell him, right? Don't be jacking up your knees. So, But there's not really any significance for this kneeling down, this bowing down in front of somebody. But in the biblical time, it held a ton of weight. Next on your notes, in biblical times, physically kneeling or prostrating oneself, like laying flat on the ground in front of someone, meant you were submitting to the one being bowed to. So, this should start triggering a couple of memories in your mind in the Bible. Anybody remember the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that? They were thrown into the fiery furnace? Daniel 3, 1 through 6. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall, and nine feet wide, and set it up at the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Let's stop right there. You know that dude had an ego, or at least a massive insecurity problem, to make an idol of himself 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. Then he sent messengers to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the providential officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a burning fire or burning, a blazing furnace. Is the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, asking people to stop as they're walking in the market or on their way to work or to the field or to get water out of the well or whatever. Is he asking them when you hear those instruments sound off, when you hear that, that's a trigger for you to start singing a song about me. What a great king we have. No, 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 no. It's not supposed to say anything. He's asking them to. He's asking them to physically get down on your knees because why? The one you're kneeling to, you are openly declaring, I submit to this person. I will do what they want. I will do what the king has instructed. No matter what I want, no matter how I feel, no matter where I'm going, doesn't matter if I'm late, it doesn't matter if I'm going to work, it doesn't matter if I'm going to do something to provide for my family, doesn't matter if I'm on my way somewhere, as soon as you hear that, King Nebuchadnezzar, bless you, again, wants to come and wants you to stop and kneel down. And doing so is, t- is not just you telling the king you submit,
0: you're telling Everybody who watches you, I will do whatever he says. Physically kneeling
1: down meant someone was acknowledging the superiority of a ruler to themselves. It meant they were telling everyone around them they would submit to that king or that leader's desires, to their control and to their power. This clarifies the story of David and Bathsheba a little bit for me. Remember this story? where God catches David in his, his um, adulterous act after he kills her husband Uriah and brings the woman that he impregnated, Uriah's wife Bathsheba, to his temple. He thinks the cover-up's complete, but God sends his prophet Nathan to tell him, I see what you did. Second <clears throat> Samuel 12, 13-20. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied yes but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin nevertheless because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this your child will die after Nathan returned to his home the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife David begged God to spare the child he went out he went without food day um <clears throat> sorry he went without food and lay all night on the bare ground The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with him, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and what? Worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. I never understood this story when my understanding of worship was the songs, Because David was a musician, a songwriter, right? I thought, oh, I would be up Singing, praying, asking God in the temple to save my son. And then, if it didn't happen, then I would be crushed out on the floor, ripping my clothes and laying there and not eating, brokenhearted. But this is opposite. He's doing all that beforehand. And then, when it's over, he goes to the temple and worships. I'm thinking, how in the world do I sing a song hours after my son dies at seven days old? I beg God to. To save? How do I go there and be like,
0: you are awesome in this place, mighty God. How do you do that? That word in the original language is Shaka.
1: He came back to the temple and he said, I have been doing what I want to do. I've been acting in the ways. What did that passage say? Nathan said, because you have acted in utter contempt of God's word. You didn't care what he said. You didn't care what he did. You didn't care what you knew what was right and wrong. You didn't care that you shouldn't have been on that roof in the first place. You should have been at a battle with your with your army. You don't care that she wasn't clothed and you sat there and lusted after her. You didn't care that you sent somebody over there. You didn't care that you murdered this the this, this poor woman's husband who's one of your top soldiers. You didn't care about any of that. You did what you wanted to do. You submitted to your own desires. You did not submit to me. And when David went back to the temple to worship is that it, it is an acknowledgement. I've been doing things my own way and that
0: never works out. I know better. I'm coming back to you, God, and I am I will do what you say. I'm not going to
1: go down this road anymore. I'm not going to just fulfill the the guttural flesh wicked desire that I have that led to adultery and to murder and to lying and to fornicate. I'm not going to go down that road anymore. I am going to do things your way. I'm going to worship. I'm going to submit. I'm going to shaka.
0: That moment in the temple led to a pretty
1: famous passage in Psalms that we and our culture turned into a song. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from Your presence and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. David didn't come to kneel down and sing a whole bunch of songs because that's what you're supposed to do as someone who worships God. No, he was saying, I got to get my heart in the right place. And when I take my heart away from what I want to do and submit to
0: my king, then I start to worship. This should change the way you read the scripture going forward. And let
1: me give you a couple of quick examples. Remember when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? He was there for 40 days with no food, right? Devil came and tempted him three times, Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Next, the devil took him to the peak, him being Jesus, to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and what? Worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Satan wasn't asking him to swap the lyrics of a song that was written to him and sing it to him. He was saying, will you do things my way? If you submit to my authority, you submit to acting in my way, I will give you all of this. You ever heard the the phrase, uh, sold my soul to the devil?
0: Actually, I'm submitting to what evil wants so that I can gain temporary riches. Satan was asking Jesus to submit to him. The epitome of arrogance. Asking the Son of God, just do it my way. Romans 12.1,
1: Paul's talking to believers in the church. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to what? Worship him. That has nothing to do with songs. That has nothing to do with lyrics. That has nothing to do with the the 15 or 18 minutes you're slotted as a musician, a group of musicians before the pastor starts preaching. That has to do with, are you going to submit to what you want to do? Are you going to submit to what God wants you to do? You're going to live your own standard or you're going to live his standard? Paul is telling believers in Jesus to reject their own fleshly desires for their body and submit to God's instructions um, for their life. And this is the way to worship him. You are denying you and submitting to what he wants, whether you want to or not. Colossians 3, 5 through 8. So put to death every sinful earthly things, or put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Do you think that Paul is making a checklist here of things you're not supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, he's making a list. Do you think that's the point of what he's saying here? No. He's saying that when you submit to yourself, what happens? Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, rage, malicious behavior, anger, slander, and dirty language. He also also says greed. A greedy person is an idolater worshipping. What does that mean? Singing songs to money? Money, 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 money. Yeah, money. No, no, no. He's not. No, no. It's not what he's talking about. What's he talking about? I'm submitting myself to do whatever it takes, immoral or not, uh, scrupulous or not, so that I can get more money. In that case, you are submitting to the idol. And your idol's kind of dumb. It's a rectangle green printed piece of
0: paper. But when that becomes your sole focus above everything else,
1: when you chase earthly possessions to the point that you compromise your faith, you ignore God's
0: instructions, we are submitting to the idol of money. It's all about worship. You having money is not a problem. Money having
1: you is a problem. What does that mean? When it's all you think about, when it's what you want above everything else, when you will backstab and talk about someone or lie on them to try to climb the next rung on the corporate ladder or in your business or whatever. That's the problem. Why? Because as a believer, You're submitting to an idol, not to the Almighty God. Now, you might be sitting here going, I don't really do any of that. I mean, I don't submit to God all the time, but I'm not really, like, worshiping that stuff. Uh, I have some news for you. Next line your notes. Everyone worships. But we get to choose who and what we worship. Everyone worships, but we get to choose who and what we worship. Think back to David real quick. He saw Bathsheba, dumped what he knew was right, and did what he wanted. You ever ask yourself, when you read those stories of old, especially in the ones with David, you ever, ever ask yourself the question, how come God didn't speak to him in the middle of that? He's out there eyeballing Bathsheba, taking a bath. Why didn't God be like, David, ah, look over here, bro. Go back inside. Close the curtain, whatever. You ever think, how come when he sent for her, God just didn't put up some miraculous blockade? Oh, she couldn't make it. She, the donkey stepped on her foot while she's walking over here or something. You know what I mean? Why? Why, why didn't he stop her? Why didn't he stop him?
0: Because he already knew what was right and wrong. He was not ignorant of it. He knew what was right
1: and chose his flesh anyway.
0: That one, that one struck close to home for me. Because I was a church kid. I knew all the right and wrong stuff.
1: And yet, when I was presented with certain opportunities, I was like... Bump that,
0: bro. I'm doing this. He didn't stop him because he knew what was right. Got him in this massive situation where I've succumbed to this sin. How come you didn't help me? Probably because you already knew what was right. This is the part that gets a little grimy. Next on your notes, when we
1: ignore what God wants and do what we want, we are submitting to
0: our selfish desires. In other words, we are worshiping ourselves. Oh man, you just had a little slip up. Heard
1: a, heard a, um, there was a pastor in the South many years ago who got caught up in a crazy, adulterous affair. Let me leave it at that. People left his church and went to the one, and the guy down the street was his friend, and he stood up and goes, um, if you're from my friend's church, you need to go back over to his church.
0: Because it was just a little, a little fender bender, just a little bump. He got insurance called grace. And our culture likes to kind of water down the idea when we did something wrong. Just a misstep. just got caught up for a season. I just kind of gave in once. But doing that is not just a blip in the road, not kneeling before your king, kneeling before you. Find your truth. Find your, your why. Find your North Star. Find what matters to you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart.
1: Do what you want, New Age folks. You are
0: divine. You are part of God. You are in charge. Because why? That's self-love. No, that's not self-love, my friends. That is self-worship. See how that feels? Just grimy. I'm not just caught up in a little bit of sin. It's easy for
1: God to forgive, but what the revelation of that is is that I have whatever you want to do I'm going to do whatever you
0: feel I'm going to submit to whatever you think our culture calls it pride and they celebrate it I don't feel like my gender I don't feel like the body I have matches who, who I really am.
1: Some of that is mental illness. But as of the statistic I read yesterday, 30% of Gen Z adults view themselves as gender-fluid, non-binary, LGBTQIA+. Is part of that mental on this? Sure. But the vast majority of that is just a different expression of what generations have dealt with for a long time. You know what that is?
0: Whatever you want. It's not self-care. It's self. I don't want to raise this child that I'm impregnated with. It's just the wrong time for me. It's
1: just not something I want to do right now in the same way our culture is promoting people to
0: dismember and disfigure themselves. Because of our self worship, people disfigure and dismember their children. My friends, this is not a political fight or a political message. I'm not out here, be like, let me introduce you to this candidate who's going to fix all this. No, 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 no. Those are all very small band-aids. There's a bigger problem. What do we submit to? Because everybody worships. You just got to determine who and what you're worshiping. See how that changes away from the songs that happen in the
1: service? So, Matt, what is the role of
0: worship and music in the church? Next line of your notes is letter A. Worship
1: is not the songs we sing in a church service. Okay, we've made that clear. Worship is not the songs we see, sing in a church service. So, why do we sing? Next line to express our heart of submission to God.
0: Let me talk to all my musicians, future worship leaders that are in the house. Have you ever listened to somebody and go, dang, I believe what they said?
1: You ever heard somebody sing a song and go, man, there's something about that. It just hits me. It just, man, I believe what they're saying. And then somebody else sings the exact same song and you go, I'm not talking about the difference in talent because that exists in the church everywhere. We ran a music institute, and people would come and be like, I was the number one vocalist in my church. And I'd be like, That's awesome, sing. And they were like,
0: like
1: Oh Lord, okay, yes. Oh man, how that was one of those old jokes like a soloist, solo that no one can hear you, right? Like it's just. That's where they sing. You know, they turn their mic down, you know, and the sound system if they had one or whatever. I'm not talking about the difference in talent that exists. I'm talking about two talented people, and one of them you look at and go, oh, nice song, and the other one you go, there's a believability in that that I can't can't explain. You know why? Because one of them has a heart that is attempting to worship. Not about did you hit the breath right, did you hit the influx right in your in your vocal progression. Did you crescendo at the right place and then calm down at the right place?
0: Nope, that has to do with the motion. But we sing in church. Not because we can be like, oh yeah.
1: We should bring back entrances in the church. Like the choir did. You know what I mean? Just like in a line, people walking. That'd be all night, but guess what? That's not worship. I love how worship started today. Really? Because Scripture says it starts long before you ever come into the door and sing the song. Who are you submitted to? When you come into church, our goal is not to sing a song to you that you go, Oh, I love that one. That's the new Bethel one. That's a new elevation. I love that one. Although those are good songs. The goal is to give you an opportunity to express or remember the commitment, the covenantal commitment you made to God. Let me give you an example of a very short song. You may not even know just one chorus that expresses that. Listen to the melody. The music is good. There's some excellence to it. Yes, because Nina's been doing this forever. Got it.
0: Hear all that. Look past that
1: and hear the heart of
0: submission that is being expressed.
1: not to just hit the melody just right. I like how the last part of that song goes to
0: the minor six and then resolves to the three. I don't.
1: It's giving you an opportunity, giving you everybody in the room an opportunity to express their submission to God or be reminded of a time when you were submitted to God. And sometimes in the quote-unquote worship set, which now we know is not, it's a musical tool. During the time of the musical tool, if you are convicted,
0: I was taught after a while that you think about you in worship, you're not worshiping. When you separate the two, you begin to realize that when I was convicted, when the song, with the song, the tool did its job. Because why? I remember when I was here. At the moment, I'm here. But there's something pulling me back to being submitted to truly worshiping the God that I serve. I have to reject all of that and come to this place and then worship. From that posture, sing. From this posture, live.
1: How does worship happen in the church away from music? Because the way we operate as a legal organization has to be submitted to God. The way we handle money has to be submitted to God. The way we treat others has to be submitted to God. I haven't had to do this thankful yet, but I'm sure it's coming in the future. The way we have to correct behavior inside our church fellowship has to be submitted to God. And when we do things His way, it is an act of worship unto Him. And only then have you worshiped and only then have you lived the lifestyle
0: of worship. Letter B. Worship is not a feeling. Worship is not a feeling.
1: <clears throat> I'm probably guilty of this myself. So if you don't know anybody, it'll just be me. But if you ever heard anybody walk out of a church service and be like, eh, I just didn't really feel it in worship today. <clears throat> Just didn't really do it for me. I don't know if it was the songs or the, you know, the mic went out, kind of distracted or whatever. It just didn't really do it for me today. Ever heard that? Ever felt that way? Walked out of it? Yeah? Your feeling has no bearing on worship. We said it last week. I'll remind it to you. I should have put it in your notes,
0: but you can register now if you want. There's two times to worship God. When you feel like it and when you don't. What I feel like doing is kicking Bob from accounting in the shin when he walks by. I'm not going to do it.
1: What I feel like doing is telling everybody what that girl
0: that other cubicle has been doing on the weekends because I hear her talk about it all the time. I'm not going to do it. If we have to feel something when songs are sung,
1: next line your notes. As a confirmation of whether or not we have worshipped, you're actually submitting to a feeling. So if you feel like you only worshipped or only had a good service where the music was present and it really got you, and you shed a tear or you got the goosebumps or you stood up like, oh, I just want to run. If you have to feel that to think that the service or the music or the worship was successful for you, then my friends, you are submitting to a feeling and in doing that, worshiping
0: an emotion. Your emotions aren't bad. Says a long time ago. Your emotions are real, they're just not always right. You are an emotional
1: being, but if you have to feel a certain way when you walk out of the church service, then you're prioritizing an emotion above the God who wants you to submit to him regardless because he is good, he is powerful, he is in control, he is the one who has all the answers and he has started
0: and ends everything. The music will invoke an emotion. We talked about that last week. But
1: the worship is not the emotion. The worship starts with letter C. Biblical worship is submission
0: to God. It starts with submission. What does submission mean? Do what your king wants. Do what your king wants. In this Church, we. Um, I'm trying not to. Um,
1: trying to strike a balance between, um, bless you, um, pumping up believers, and. I want to focus on making
0: disciples. What we're called to do, equipping you, with God's word. How does submission
1: play out in the life of the disciple? If you want something, but the Lord has other plans for you,
0: submit to Him. If we want to live a certain way, but God says no, we submit to Him.
1: If we want to take control and go out and get what we want while ignoring the Creator and His standard for our life,
0: we submit. God because without submission there is no worship might be good songs might
1: be you cried might have good emotion might have great harmony all of that I am for I am for the excellence that the that it speaks to and to deliver it but what's the point of the song to express the heart that's in you that is submitting to God, to remind you of a time when you submitted to God and hopefully convict you back to the point where you're no longer submitting to you or worshiping you
0: still, man, that's grimy, but to worship and submit to God.
1: I want to encourage you going forward no matter where you're where you're at here in our service on sunday if you're at a conference or if you're at a concert where they're singing you know worship oriented music the subject of worship songs wherever you are i want to encourage you never to sit there and watch the people sing there are moments where they're going to sing something it's going to strike you and you're going to be like oh man i can't even God, I just got to deal with God right now. Fine. But just watching
0: the people sing that are gifted and going, man, they got a great gift. Thank you. awesome. No. Take the opportunity to express your heart of submission to God. Only in that moment did the tool of music become an avenue of worship?